0: Welcome to Begin Again, stories of resilience, adventure, and finding your way. Today we're having a conversation with Kim Grant, who I am so excited for you guys to get to know a little better. Kim and I met almost two years ago at a church in Nashville uh, where she was new, but somehow already knew everyone. She's one of those types of people. (laughs) She uh, walks into a room and is is just the person that makes everyone else feel safe and she's got a fascinating story and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what she has to say Um, and her stories of resilience and adventure and and finding her way over um, the last few years of her life. She's right now working on becoming a street chaplain. And she does a lot of outreach and work and ministry of presence with Open Table Nashville, which ministers and cares for and restores dignity to our friends experiencing homelessness on the streets of Nashville. She's doing incredible work with them, and she'll talk about that here in the next little bit. But she's also a sculptor and a writer and a poet and an artist and an executive chef and a golf professional. So she has a lot of stories needless to say and i can't wait for you to hear them um you can find more about kim in the show notes if you go to begin slash podcast you can find out more about what kim is up to see her writing um read her writing and, and all of that anyways let's get into it folks i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did let's talk what would you like to talk about i would like to talk about you kim grant welcome oh to begin again Thank you. It's a joy to be here at Begin Again. I'm so excited. So we're in the pod. Um, Those of you who are listening, you can't see, obviously, but we are in uh, a little Forest River R-Pod home studio, 20-foot
1: camper um, at the Dinette. That has wonderful, wonderful memories of uh, just a couple camping trips that we've been on. Yep. Um, a lot of fun times. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I'm excited that you're you're back in the pod for the the
0: pod pod. in In the the pod pod for for the pod. pod. Yes. (laughs) So fun. So um, the reason that I invited you to be a guest on the podcast and I'm so excited that you said yes is because this is a show about resilience and people who have remade themselves or started over or Um, gone through something difficult and come through the other side of the fire stronger. And you have done that a few times in your life. Yes, I have. You've done that a few times. Yeah.
1: Some by choice, many not by choice.
0: Yeah. So you are a wealth of story and depth and character because of the life that you've lived. And I would just love for you to... um, just start at the top or start in the middle or start wherever you like, but would you give us a brief introduction to just who, who you are? How'd you get where you are now? Where are you now?
1: <laughs> well, I characterize my life kind of in two ways. Um, I, I do a lot of writing and, um, through years of introspection, I, I characterize my life in two ways. Um, the things that were done to me, hmm. And then the things that I did to myself as a result Hmm. and, um, being a survivor of a traumatic childhood, um, grew up in an abusive household, um, survivor of childhood, sexual abuse, um, all the other abuses that come, uh, from an alcoholic mother as well. Um, so abused by both parents and, um, and then as a result of that, um, the things that I did to myself then, um, you know, the born out of self-hatred and shame and all those things. So um, although I was an athlete as a, as a young person uh, and against drugs and alcohol and, and all that stuff, I did eventually knowingly and willingly uh, turn to those things to, to self-medicate and numb Uh, The pain so the things that were done to me and then the things that I did to myself. Yeah Um,
0: at what point in your life, did you have your first moment of Something's not working. I'm gonna have to change something
1: Well, I left home when I was 17 um, out of that abusive household and I knew the first time that I that I had self-awareness truly I think when I was 14 years old I remember I was standing in the front hall of our house and my mother uh, who just was torturous to me um, was in my face and I remember bawling my fist and thinking if that woman starts again I'm going to let her have it Hmm. so at the age of 14 I, I had a sense of myself, I think, for the first time, and my ability to stand up for myself and to potentially alter the direction of whatever events or happenings were going on. I was 14. At that time also, or right around that time at the age of 14, I'm the youngest of four, and I just just knew that when I left home, I would never be back. I remember standing there thinking, when I walk out that door, that's it. I will never be back. And that's what happened at the age of 17. I left uh, home. I was uh, <clears throat> accepted at a local uh, state college and uh, left home. Uh, my father literally dropped me at the curb with a $20 bill and told me good luck. And I never, ever went back to my parents' house, was never under the roof, never accepted another penny for them. And so You know, learning to fend for myself as a 17-year-old girl. um, I wound up homeless, uh, and I lived in my car for almost a month. Um, I was not chronically homeless, but I did experience that. And still, to this day, suffer from homeless nightmares. Hmm. Um, So, But that was kind of the first time where I had a sense of self-awareness a little bit that things needed to change, and I could change that direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you go to... Community college, the state
1: college. State college of New North Jersey. State college. Mm-hmm. And what did you study? I studied health and physical education because um, in the vastness of my universe, I loved sports. And I thought, well, hey, why not? <laughs> but actually, the truth behind that was sports were a, a saving grace for yeah. me um, and an escape. And in my heart, uh, God or the universe calling on my life at that time was I wanted to use sports uh as a way to reach other young people reach them in the sense that you know hope yeah um safety yeah freedom yeah because that's what you didn't have right right and while i was in while i was in college um my freshman year i didn't have adequate funds to pay for everything Um, I had a small guaranteed student loan, and I was literally starving to death. So remember, I have no support, no parental support at all. I'm on my own. And all I could afford was a pack of bologna and a loaf of bread. So um, I would have one slice of bologna between two pieces of white bread, and that's all I would eat all day. And... Um, I was also trying to play a varsity sport. I was a tennis player back Hmm. in the day. And one of the, my friends on the tennis team said, you know, if you work for the college food service, you get a free meal. So no brainer. So I started working for the college food service. And then here's the first thing that happened where, well, the second self-awareness. So I start working for the college food service, getting my free meals hanging out in an industrial kitchen and I fell in love with professional cooking. Hmm. And um, that's how I survived um, working for them uh, and getting those meals. And then um, I wound up getting a restaurant job and I forged for the next 25 years, I forged a career beginning as an entry level cook all the way up to executive chef for a multinational uh, billion dollar company Running the dining services for a huge insurance company, um, and so I turned, <laughs> I made something from nothing. Yeah, so literally, my culinary career, which was the my first iteration, my first <laughs> career was as a chef, uh, was born out of my own hunger. Um, so, and what more? I know you and
0: I have talked about this. What more elemental way to care for people?
1: Oh, absolutely. Than to feed them, yes.
0: You know, to meet yes. that basic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: most basic need, no matter who you are. Right. That is a basic need.
1: Right, and that has been a theme of my life. Um, through you know, we're we're jumping time frames here, but um, when I was active, uh, in in a spiritual community, I started like a a Meals on Wheels program, sort mm-hmm. of. You could call it that, and and so it, my heart has always been around the table. Um, and that's just something that uh, I'm so grateful for. And again, born out of my own hunger. Um, but it's, it's been incredible throughout my life to, to offer that to people. What was
0: for you as you're, you're 14 and you're 17, and then you, you discover sports and you discover the kitchen and all of Mm -hmm. these moments. Was there behind the scenes in your life, in your psyche, in your human development, was there a space? spiritual practice for you or what was what was spirituality or religion or faith like for you at that time was that part of your forming
1: well growing up i went to church two times as a child um we were not church folk and i went two times and all i can remember was the smell of strong black coffee and stale cinnamon graham crackers (laughs) and fellowship hall afterwards that that's the image i remember nothing else (laughs) um but we were not church people but um when I was 13 years old, I, was, I, was, uh, I had already started dabbling in, in uh, kind of entry-level drugs and a lot of promiscuity um, as a 13-year-old, and I was literally walking down the street to my friend's house, and I had this unmistakable, overwhelming sense stopped me in my tracks, not an audible voice, yeah, but a sense that I needed to know God. And it was hmm. overwhelming. Now, I had, I was literally walking down the street, minding my own business, yeah. and then so from that, that um, I I got a ride down. I think my father, my older brother, somebody brought me down to the local Presbyterian church the next Sunday, and I started going to church by myself. Yeah. And I got a little children's Bible, and so that was my introduction. And then a friend from school. Um, who was an evangelical Christian um, shared with me um, my wretchedness in her opinion or in that tradition's opinion. Mm -hmm. She shared with me the, what was supposed to be good news that I was a wretched sinner separated from an angry God and could only be that, that chasm could only be bridged um, through faith, personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. So me already filled with shame and self loathing, right. I heard that message. And, and that um, was in response to this deep need that you felt to know God. Yes. Not
0: having language for it, but Correct. knowing that there was something that you needed and you were met with right. this right. supposed goodness. So, um,
1: wow. so I had what I call a personal conversion experience, completely heartfelt. Very genuine on my part, mm-hmm. and then, for the next several years um was involved in a in an evangelical fundamentalist church mm. all the while knowing that I was gay mm. and I was one of those ones I think popped out of the womb gay yeah. you know my mother uh wanted to take me to a psychologist when I was five years old, so this was mm. nineteen sixty one or two yeah. um uh because she thought that I was. And, um, so these, the, the mixed message of here, I love God. I'm desiring the spiritual desiring relationship with, uh, with God. And then I'm getting these messages from this church, this religion that told me that I was not only a sinner, but that particular sin was particularly vile and heinous and, Hmm. and disgusting. And so, um, With a background of abuse, yes, spiritual oh, abuse. So yeah, yeah, and physical abuse. So all yeah. the things conspired uh, f- toward my self hatred, and hence my sensing that this religion was, I guess, the answer to yeah. make me clean, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. and acceptable, yeah, acceptable, yeah, rather You've than got rejected the stain of sin right. and right. rejected. Yeah. So long and short of it, then. Um, through my early restaurant career, I turned to drugs and alcohol because I loved god um and had a had a deep faith in spirituality. But the messages that I was being given were completely opposite of that, obviously, as a gay person, so I chose drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to deal with that that schism that chasm between yeah. my love for God and my sexuality and then um I hit bottom when I was uh, 30. and uh, So well into your oh, yeah. career as a chef. Then. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I got fired from my last job as a, as a chef um, and spent my literal last $20 bill on cocaine. Um, I was mm-hmm. being chased by some drug traffickers down in... I was living in Florida at the time. And uh, I asked my mom if I could come up to New Jersey and sleep on her couch. And I went cold turkey and got clean and sober and here I was this executive chef and then I started working in a sub shop making hoagies for five dollars an hour under the table and paid off all my debt and ironically went back to that same evangelical church because that was the only thing I knew knew. that's what I knew and uh so that that went on for the next. Uh, I think I was there about thirteen more years, and during that time is when I developed the Meals on Wheels program and mm. was very, very active in uh, all kinds of feeding programs and hospitality and that kind of thing. So, I have to think about you in that moment at rock bottom, mm.
0: calling your mother
1: mm-hmm.
0: back in New Jersey, this place that you swore and you never, you were never going to go back into that house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What got you? What got you to that? point where you called her and went back into that space and went back onto that couch to find healing?
1: Well, my mother, when I was, when I was, um, just, I think I was 16, right before I left home, um, my mother collapsed from, uh, DTs, delirium tremens from alcoholism. I was hospitalized, uh, in intensive care for several weeks. And, my sister came to pick me up from basketball practice. I was a junior in high school, so I was 16. She came to pick me up, which was unusual because Mm. normally we took the bus home. And I was like, what are you doing here? And she said, mom collapsed and is in the hospital. And I remember getting in her car. It was a cold winter night. It was already dark. And we're driving to the hospital. And the thing that I look back that shocked me was that I didn't care, that I wasn't more upset Mm. about my mother's collapse. Wow. Yeah. So we, we get to the hospital room and I walk in and my mother's in the fetal position, convulsing. And she turned, she looked like, she just looked like death. And she, she was curled up and convulsing and she turned her head to look up at me and barely mouthed the words, can I have an ice chip? Hmm. And I took the little styrofoam cup from her tray table there, and I put an ice chip in her mouth, and I fell in love with my mother.
0: Oh my god, Kim.
1: And in that moment, in that moment, was all the healing of God in the universe. I looked at my mother for the first time, instead of a monster. Yeah. And I looked at her as a little girl, and the suffering that she had gone through, and I Mm. literally fell in love with my mother. And... Mm. I never asked, she never asked for forgiveness. I never said, I forgive you. It was just a knowing. Now, she was then sent away. Well, before she was sent away, she was in the hospital wow. for several weeks. And I would walk every day from my high school, two and a half miles to the hospital, and um Sit with her every afternoon, and when her little tray table would come at five o'clock, mm-hmm. I would run down and get a cheeseburger or Coke, and fries <laughs> from the cafeteria, and I'd have my dinner, and she'd have her dinner and then she was sent um away to a drug and alcohol rehab, which back in the day they sent you away they really sent you away it was yeah. like a sanatorium. And, uh, so she went away and I, we weren't able to see her for a month, but through that process though, but that's the first time where there was healing. And so that happened years before the event where I hit my bottom and then was able to reach out to my mom. And, um, it's funny, the full circle. So I come, I come back to New Jersey from Florida, completely strung out. I weighed, I'm five, eight and a half and I weighed 105 pounds at the time, completely strung out. And she didn't know the half of what I had been through. Yeah. She she just knew I was hurting. And, and she made me walk up and go to an AA meeting the, the first night. And so I went cold turkey. She helped me through cold turkey. took about three weeks. And then uh, eventually, you know, day after day, week after week, um, I got stronger and healthier and then was able to get a little place of my own and get my life started again. And then in your healing and becoming whole
0: again, Mm -hmm. creating these programs where you were taking care of people.
1: Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, food and cooking and funny thing. So fast forward many, many, many years later, my mom is diagnosed with terminal cancer and I, I moved my clothing into her apartment to care for her. Mm. Um, and they said she was going to only last three months. She lasted 18. So we had a chance to Mm. get to know each other as women. Um, not just, not just mom and whatever. And, um, oftentimes she'd look over at me and say, I'd look and she's like, what are you looking at? And she said, I'm going to miss you when I go, I'm going to miss you. And I said, ah, you're not going to miss me. I'm going to miss you. You're going to be in a better, better place. But, um, and I would cook for her, um, toward the end, she wasn't able to eat, but she did wind up in the hospital. Unfortunately, she passed away in the hospital, but, um, um, you know, cooking and food. And and her last couple hours as she was really starting to transition from this life, um, my siblings and I came together around her bed and her oncology doctor said, you know, the hearing is always the last thing to go. So keep talking to mom. And we stood around her bedside as she was transitioning from this life and talked about what a great cook she was and all of our favorite meals. You know, one loved her spaghetti and meatballs and one loved her beef stew and I loved her chicken stew and dumplings. And so the last hours of her life, four individuals born to the same parents, Mm -hmm. hardly siblings, hardly siblings. We weren't close, but we stood around her bed and and just talked for over an hour about the great memories of meals that mom had cooked for us. So. Wow. Yeah. That's
0: I mean, that's, that's what people, that's what you hope for, you yeah. know, when, yeah. uh, how can it end any better than that right for that healing in that mm-hmm. final moment? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's Absolutely. beautiful. And we'll, we'll come full circle again and see food and he- uh, healing and, um, feeding people come back into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but not yet. Not yeah. yet what happens next? You're a professional chef. You're trying to reconcile that you're gay and you're in this space where that's not okay.
1: Right. So I'm working as a chef and I'm working for this multinational company. And, um, well, two things. One, I was here. Here's how we started making, how I started making something from nothing for a second time. Mm. So, I was teaching a young Hispanic male how to make 50 gallons of tomato sauce, and several of us (laughs) in the company had started a culinary arts training program, and my background was education, health and physical education, but I wanted to teach, so I always kind of had that capacity. So I'm standing there teaching this young man how to make tomato sauce, and it was so fulfilling to me, Hmm. teaching, and I thought, man, I wonder if there's any way I can Take my love of golf, because hmm. I was into golf, and turn that into my my vocation, my avocation into my vocation. So back in the day, um, before email, I, I snail mailed uh, the LPGA, and they sent me a membership package, and I decided I'm going to become an LPGA golf professional, <laughs> like you do, like you do. Just <laughs> I just decided. Now oh. I had not been playing golf; I have never taken a golf lesson. <laughs> I just was kinda I was just an athlete and I thought, hmm, okay. So it took me three years to get my LPGA card. But I just was determined that I was gonna have that credential next to my name. And I did it finally. Um I did three it three years. Three years it took me. Three years. Three later. years of failure. So um <laughs> Because in order wow. to become an LPGA golf professional, there's two components. There's the playing ability and then mm-hmm. the teaching ability. So mm-hmm. you have to demonstrate your playing ability. Um, now I, I can teach, but the playing part, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm details. Medi- mediocre ah. details, right? Uh-huh. So you have to play these tournaments, um, and you play from the men's tees and you have to shoot a certain score. And if you mm-hmm. don't shoot that score or below, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not in. You're not so, a pro. Anyways, right. you can show so, the amateurs. Um I would go and do these tournaments and I'd miss it. Sometimes by a lot, sometimes <laughs> by a little. And um so we had this we had this joke that um little little anecdotal little story. Um, so, you know, little little Johnny's at his T ball game and You know, he comes up to bat, you know, the little tee ball the kids play, and he comes up to bat, bases loaded, bottom of the fifth inning, and the game's going to be over, and he's shaking. Coach calls timeout, calls little Johnny over, gets down on one knee, grabs him by the arms and says, Johnny, no pressure at all. You know why? Because no matter what happens, we're still having pizza after the game. So Johnny goes back to the bat, (laughs) whacks the ball, drives the runs in, they win the game, and they go have pizza. So my friends jokingly used to say, no matter what happens, we're going to have pizza. are going to have and pizza. And for years, after I would fail, uh-huh. we'd have pizza until somebody said, did you ever think you might want to change the meal? Maybe you should have a freaking steak or something because it's kind of bad <laughs> karma with the pizza. But um, the pizza's not working. Right, right. Have pizza. So it took me a few years, but that was, that was like bizarre becoming that, but it was meant mm-hmm. to be. But again wanting to help people. And I use the acronym G O L F the game of life fully. You know, Mm. it's very, it had very little to do with teaching someone how to propel a white, um, sphere like object (laughs) down the fairway. It was all about connection and making a difference in their lives, which has been truly a motivating force, whether it's culinary or teaching or whatever. Um, so yeah. So in the, that was the second iteration of my life. Chef, then golf pro. Then I'll try
0: out this golf pro thing. Yeah. Um, because at the iteration where I met you, yes. um, I still can see these, this teaching and mm-hmm. connecting and, mm-hmm caring for people that is i mean we met because you were like the hospitality guru at a church i visited Mm -hmm. randomly and you started introducing me to people yes um you were not gonna let me sit alone at lunch yes (laughs) i was just gonna make sure that people were taken care of so it sounds like that's a thread that's run through your whole life
1: and i i have um I have an intuition, I guess, or a sensitivity. I'm a four on the Enneagram, so I feel all the feels. <laughs> Shout I feel out my to feels. Friends. <laughs> I feel your feels. I feel everybody's feels. Uh, but um, I'm very, very in tune when I walk into a room or when I'm around people. Of uh, not the underdog, but I'm just in tune to people's energies. Mm-hmm. And I just never. I know what it's like to be, you know, the one left out. And I just never. Want that to happen, so I'm very, very in tune with people um, in in social situations, and and just wanting to reach out to them and make them feel welcome. And isn't that what hospitality really is all about? That's
0: what it is. Yeah, so. and that's what gives people in whatever setting you're in. I think that's what helps people feel safe enough to be honest, mm-hmm. to be truthful, to have, have these moments of healing and resilience, like what you have experienced.
1: And hospitality for me has, you know, whether it's been in a in a broader sense um in a like outreach sense or around our table at home our mm-hmm. table at home has always been um a place of welcome and where we use that to to try and be a blessing to people so mm-hmm.
0: That is so beautiful. So my favorite stories and one of my favorite teachers, Liz Gilbert, talks about this all the time, is following your curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do next with your life, Mm -hmm. follow the thing that makes you say, I wonder if. And those were the words that you used. I wonder if I could be a golf pro. And that led you into this next chapter of your life. How
1: long was this particular chapter, this, I'm going to be a golf pro chapter? The golf pro, the chef chapter was 25 years. The golf pro chapter was 21 years. And then it came to. So not just like a passing phase. Oh, no, no, no. These were careers. (laughs) Fully dedicated careers. Fully dedicated careers. And then the golf career came to a unexpected crashing halt. Hmm. Um, we relocated from Naples, Florida to Franklin, Tennessee to be part of a spiritual community. And when we got here, um, I could not find a job as a golf professional. Now, um, I sent out, I count dozens of resume packages and, you know, I've written a lot of curriculum. I have a lot of experience. So, um, I was em- offered a couple entry level golf pro jobs, but hmm. you know, I was way more qualified for in. that. Right. So, yeah. so, um, because I could not find a job, um, I had a lot of free time where I could volunteer, uh, at my church, my spiritual community. And so naturally for me, it was the hospitality piece, but you know, the universe or God or however you choose the universal energy, however you choose to define that, um, has such a sense of humor. I hate to um, put a human characteristic on the inexplainable, but...
0: Well, that's the uh, tools
1: we have, so yes. we'll take So, um, it. such a sense of humor because every little rinky-dink church, country church that you know has some sort of little kitchen. So mm-hmm. I get called to this church in Tennessee that doesn't have a kitchen I'm a chef I get called to a church with no kitchen so that was just kind of humorous so um, so yeah so I just I worked I volunteered for a year and a half and I was asked to be on staff uh, as a volunteer um, and uh, head up some hospitality programs and
0: that does sound like a church job,
1: please yeah. be on our staff as yeah. a volunteer yes absolutely <laughs> and so again, because of this extended period of unemployment um, and and a lot of soul searching um, um, you know i don 't i 'm not ashamed to say went through a quite a quite a dark period of depression. Um, So much of our sense of self-worth and significance is tied up in our ability to make a living or um, our sense of success or whatever. And um, so that was that was tough for me. But all of that, I felt for a year and a half that I was doing good work. But yet Mm -hmm. a part of me felt like I was spinning my wheels and, you know, just just a real kind of blank time. At the same time, it was some of the best work I've ever done in my life that mm. had real meaning. Um but yet and and so many people from that community would reach out to me for to can we meet for coffee and yeah. uh can we talk? I was I've been very forthcoming about the truth of my story and and uh you know my blog and my writing people know about my history. So people would reach out to me um, for, you know, counsel or, or whatever, just to, to talk. And, um, so it was at the same time, um, desperately frustrating and desperately empowering and incredible. Hmm. Um, and then just the only thing I can say about this third iteration of my life is that a little sparkle started a faint Hmm. little something Um, regarding of all things, chaplaincy, um, people for years, uh, my, my, my spouse, my wife, Denise, jokingly, I thought for years would say, my gosh, you, you're a pastor. You Hmm. should be a pastor. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Because where you come from, that language could be. Yeah. That was, that was not good language. Yeah. So. But technically, um, I think my, my desire to, um, come alongside people is very pastoral uh, and caregiving. Um, so there was just a little inkling, just a little spark. And so I, I decided to look at, um, uh, progressive divinity schools and programs. And I do possess a biblical studies certificate, um, from an evangelical school, which was quite rigorous, but it's by no means an MDiv. Um, So I started just kind of looking around and I found San Francisco Theological Seminary and had several conversations with them and then went to, uh, attended the Wild Goose Festival where the director of admissions was there and I had a lovely meeting with her and we kind of decided that we were I was going to fly a couple times uh, a semester back and forth to San Francisco to pursue a certificate in uh trauma and spiritual care and just see where that led. So the night before I was the night that I was going to buy my airline tickets to San Francisco, I thought, you know, I just I wonder if there are any programs hmm. here, I mean Vanderbilt Divinity School that where I might be able to and so I, I did a little research, and I found um, through Vanderbilt and St. Thomas Hospital uh, something called Clinical Pastoral Education, CPE, which is a requirement for anyone who becomes a chaplain, regardless of whether you have an MDiv or anything else. So they had a program. So I contacted the program director, and she said, well, you can fill out an application, but the program's already full. Hmm. So I took four days to fill out that application. It was very, very intense. And then, as is my custom, I decided to hand deliver the application to the program director. Because they can't
0: turn you down face to face. (laughs) Because I
1: wanted her to put a face and a name together. And I just remember a few times in my life, and maybe some of your listeners um, have experienced this, there was a knowing that was unmistakable. And in that knowing... Um, it's, it's so spiritual and godly, otherworldly. I mm-hmm. knew that I was going to get into that program, even though it was full. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, somebody's going to have to drop out, but I'm getting in that <laughs> That's program.
0: my spot, yeah. Well,
1: I hand-delivered the application. We had a lovely conversation. Three weeks later, she calls me and said, um, an entity, a, a nonprofit in in Nashville has contacted us and they need an an extern, an intern, Uh, For the next semester, are you interested? And I was like, "Uh, yes, I am. (laughs) And so although someone didn't drop out of the program, a position was created. Created for you. A position was created. And so I have enrolled and been accepted into the clinical pastoral education program. Uh, And I will begin my internship January 8th. It's a five-month internship with Open Table Nashville, which is uh, Nashville's mm. uh, one of Nashville's um, just incredible outreaches to our friends experiencing homelessness. Mm. And coincidentally, I had already done quite a bit of volunteer work for Open Table, so yeah. they were familiar with me, I'm familiar with them, and now I am actually volunteering even before my uh, internship begins, and we go out on the streets of Lower Broadway, um, In Nashville and with backpacks of emergency supplies, um, Mm -hmm. ministering to our friends, experiencing homelessness.
0: What is that full circle moment like for you to be, to think, to think about your life when you were 17 and you were living in Mm -hmm. your van or your car, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And then to be now later in life, reaching out to those people who are in the place that you are in after
1: all of this life that you've lived. Right. It's, it's, it's it's amazing it's so life affirming and it's incredible because born out of my own hunger and homelessness, I become a cook hmm. who forges a career as a chef who winds up now pursuing chaplaincy and they technically I'm a street chaplain i mean i you know we go out on the street and um and then trying to develop programming to to feed our friends experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I witnessed something. I hope it's okay if I tell the story real briefly, just this past week, we were out in the street and we were sitting down on the ground with, with a friend, uh, and a young homeless, uh, friend came up, um, and just said, you know, I, I'm starving. Does anybody have anything to eat? And this, gentleman that's homeless gave this young man some food that had been given to him. Hmm. And he ate that food in such a ravenous way. You could tell that he was just starving, starving. And he, he looked at us and started to cry because he was so overwhelmed with the street hospitality that this older man who was homeless shared his little bit of food with this young Hmm. man. And you know, you can call it whatever you want. That was a Jesus moment for me. Yeah. We experience the divine right there. And when you are with the most marginalized yeah. um there there is divinity there and it, it's just it's overwhelming in so many ways. So a full circle moment, yes. And and right now I'm pursuing avenues to um to try and expand a feeding program. Um, You know, Hmm. there's so many large political and socioeconomic issues that contribute to chronic poverty and homelessness. For me, I'm very, very elemental. Hmm. You're hungry and I want to feed you. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm not interested in these other systemic issues that, that cause the problem of homelessness and and poverty, but you're hungry and I want to feed you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've done things in the past where I've cooked huge pots of soup and and stew and put it in big uh Cambro catering containers out of the back <laughs> of my s u v and literally pulled up to a camp and fed people mm-hmm. um that were hungry uh, yeah that's that's my
0: heart, well, I think that's a beautiful way to realize that nothing is nothing is wasted, you know of all of these different chapters of your life Mm -hmm. to use the cliche and all of these different versions of yourself and all of these different places that you've been, they've all,
1: they've all mattered and they all matter here in this moment. Absolutely. It's really, I, you know, it's so funny because I still, to this day, this year I got a tattoo on my inner right forearm that says beloved Mm -hmm. and I'm just really learning that and although i'm I just turned sixty, I'm glad at least I'm learning it now yeah. rather than on my deathbed, yeah, so there are people who go through their whole right. lives, so learning my belovedness and learning to um believe that you know what, hey, maybe we are whole and mm-hmm. well and not separated from the divine and not broken, maybe just mm-hmm. maybe we are beloved and worthy yeah. and deserving of all of the good and the love that god and the universe has for us and so that's really what my life is about expressing that giving that sharing that with people uh around the table in particular in any in every interaction but yeah, that's that's what it's all about. When did that awareness start to become so specific
0: for you? You talk about your the deep shame that you had in your past. When did you start to realize that maybe maybe that's not actually my story? Um,
1: two two years when we moved up here and I became involved in this progressive uh, Christian community um, was when I first heard that you know maybe maybe we weren't separated from God and Mm. and uh, filled with sin and shame and guilt that's when I first heard that it's only two years ago that's when I first heard that um but internalizing that message right um I would say, in the last year. Because it's been a lifetime of a different message. Absolutely. And that message, that old message, I think will always kind of be back there. But I've also given myself permission to explore my lifelong fascination with um, the contemplative tradition and Eastern Mm. mysticism. And, um, you know, those were always no-nos from my fundamentalist days. But some of those practices uh meditation which sounds so esoteric no not really not just really. centering grounding yourself um those things have really really brought peace and are tools in my toolbox to combat the old feelings and things that have so characterized my life i use i wrote a line um one time about a sentence um you know my mother my mother spoke words of hatred and poison into me and mm. I ate them and they became my sustenance. So that message as a child wow. that I was given. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, combating that it, it, it gets better. It gets better. Yeah. Um, and, and believing that. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Beloved.
1: Yeah. Beloved. Amazing. Right.
0: And now your work is helping other people find that truth. Yes. Yes. What, what better example of resilience, I think, than that? I mean, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate. We mm-hmm. and I'm talking to a lot of people who are feeling stuck and who are feeling like they're they don't have the the hindsight yet to see that nothing is wasted, and they right. see just scattershot experiences mm-hmm. or messages that are harmful to them, and they don't yet know how it all comes together. Um, I think your story is an example of it all comes together.
1: Well, it it certainly does. And not that you want to go through horrific things, but um, one of my favorite books by Henry Nowen is called Mm. Wounded Healer. Mm -hmm. And so I just put on my Instagram account uh, a descriptor. Which is, where can people
0: find your Instagram?
1: uh, KimG1317. KimG1317. Double tap. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. So, anyway... um, Wounded healer. That's how I describe myself now. Um, So all the horrible things that I I went through, the things that were done to me and the things that I've done to myself from childhood abuse to uh, drug abuse and alcoholism to prostitution to all the things that were done to me and I did to myself have brought me to this point now where god and the universe Mm -hmm. which i use interchangeably um use those things for me to be able to sit on the street with a gentleman experiencing homelessness with the smell of alcohol in his Mm -hmm. breath and be able to reach out to him and hug him and uh try and make a difference in his life and, and anyone that i encounter And
0: see beloved when you look at them and not wretched. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. So in, you talk about, um, reconciling your faith and your spirituality and finding this progressive community and Mm -hmm. opening up to a new message. Yes. Um, what about if I can ask, what about with your sexuality? What was that process like identifying? Well, not identifying, you said you've always known, but how, how did you find courage and peace and acceptance there when the messages that you were receiving was that for so
1: many years that that was not okay.
0: Well, It's probably all wrapped up in itself, but...
1: I mean, I've, I've always, I've always known that I was gay. I, obviously when I was a little child, I wouldn't have put that word on it, but, um, you know, I can remember in second grade, so what are you, seven years old? I can remember walking up to my teacher's desk... Just so I could bask in the aroma of her perfume.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That might be an indication now. <laughs> Maybe
0: a sign. Maybe yeah, it a sign. Just might be.
1: Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so I've always known, and even in those years when I was trying to quote-unquote pray the gay away, right. I knew I was gay. I just, I just, you know, was celibate. I was celibate for ten years, and I yeah. just didn't do anything about it. Obviously, but. Um, so reconciling it, um, you and know, maybe
0: that's not the right word. Right. Maybe well, I, just... and,
1: well, actually I was, I was so during that time in that church though, um, a big portion of the story that we didn't talk about is how, how I met my now wife, hmm. which was, I had been celibate for 10 years. I completed a biblical studies certificate program that took me six years to complete. And I was three weeks away from going to language school because I was going to be a missionary in Japan running a guest house, a hospitality guest house. um, Again, like you do. Like I do. And um, (laughs) so I, I was... A woman that I had been working with, great reputation in the company, Denise, and and, uh, we knew each other in the company, and um, she's Italian, and she's got these incredible green eyes. Oh, the green eyes. I remember looking in her green eyes and and going, smack, you're going to burn in hell. Stop looking in those green eyes that way. Um, But then, um, you know, through some projects at work, uh, I realized I had feelings for her and, and she for me. And... Um, we became a couple, and then I, I let my church board and my pastoral staff know, and I was excommunicated from my church. And then for the next 19 years that Denise and I were together, um, I was very, very angry at, um, of course. evangelical Christianity. I never lost my faith, right? But I was very angry at organized religion. And uh, and then just through some some you know kind of down times, I I started kind of Googling churches that hmm. were accepting and, and, uh, this, this church popped up and then we came up to visit from Florida on vacation and, and found this community and I'm no longer a part of that community, but that began really learning, uh, hearing for the first time, a message that, hmm. you know what, maybe we can go back and look at, at our, um, our text and, uh, you know, the Bible and, mm-hmm. and maybe look at it afresh uh, mm-hmm. and see, have we, have we maybe experienced this a little differently now? And that began my, the deconstruction of my old faith and the reframing of a, of a new message of belovedness. So mm-hmm. your whole and healing. self. Yeah. My and whole self. Yeah. Not beloved,
0: my... except for this one part of you that we right. need to fix right. or not talk about.
1: Yes, exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of Individuals and communities who are having those conversations now and yes. and reframing that and, and realizing that maybe this whole uh, message that if this is your quote unquote sin, then you can't come in here or we're okay. not going to talk about it. Maybe right. that's been hurting people all along. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that's not the path to freedom mm-hmm. and reconciliation and, re- and forgiveness and yeah. healing and all
1: of that. Well, I mean, I take full responsibility for my actions, my behavior, my uh, drug and alcohol abuse. I take full responsibility. However, it was the, the, the best that I could do yeah. at that moment in life to pacify the incredible schizophrenic pain mm. of loving God and being given a message that you are not loved by God and that not only that, but until you repent, your prayers are bouncing up on the ceiling of this room and God will not even hear you because you're such a wretched sinner. So that just, I just couldn't handle it. And uh, again, I take full responsibility for my behavior, but that was certainly an impetus for it. Well, of course. Yeah. And that's so far
0: removed from the person that I know. Like sitting here I with know. you. This, <laughs> I
1: look all I look all college. I have a dress shirt and a little she sweater is. and you know, yeah, people that know me now, um, even, even my wife, um, Denise, she she just cannot imagine who I was mm-hmm. in, at that time. But you know, that's that's how far a good good girl can mm-hmm. sink when 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 your life is when you believe the lie. Yeah, That you are unworthy hmm. and unlovable and undeserving mm-hmm. and no good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I'm just, I'm just dedicated to changing that narrative and helping people truly believe that they're beloved. And just, you know, it dawned on me the other day, I just remember sitting thinking, wow, what if we really are, we really are whole and okay yeah. And we have to remember and get back to the our true selves that God created us yeah. to be, uh, which is whole and happy and fulfilled and deserving of love and everything good,
0: yes. you know? How does the how does the world change if all of a sudden we remember right? that? Yes. If people
1: remember that and remind each other of that in themselves. Yes. If you see that in another, if you believe that about yourself and you can help another see it and they believe it and another and another and another mm-hmm. is that not ultimately Heaven on earth. Yeah, that's good news. Right? That's and a gospel like The get ultimate on board with. healing and reconciling of the world and the end to racism and patriarchy and sexism yeah. and homelessness and all these things. Because if we're operating out of a sense of scarcity, hmm. I'm not good enough, even though you may not consciously be thinking in those terms, but when you're operating out hmm. of that rather than I am enough, yeah. I'm more than enough.
0: More, more, more than enough. More than enough.
1: So my um
0: i'm gonna say my friend because i hear his voice in my head every week he doesn't know that i exist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rob my friend rob bell yes your friend talks rob about uh the nature of the universe being generative and that yes. it is rigged in our favor and that it is not a pie chart that runs out of slices that you like have that. to divide up it is generative and momentum gaining with forward movement and um as a sloppy sentence, but you get what I'm saying. Yes. It just, it's moving forward and it's calling us into better truths. It's calling us into reconciliation and resilience, mm-hmm. not backwards. So much of our culture, our country, our politics right now is talking about we've got to go backwards to get mm-hmm. to what was once great or right. good or whatever. But that's not how we can feel in our bodies and in our souls that that's not the direction we're supposed to be going. We're right. supposed to be moving forward.
1: Right. And that's, you know, that whole message and and your whole podcast is about resilience, okay? So we're talking about resilience today. So for for anyone listening, for Hmm. your listeners, I I don't have all the answers. I don't know this third iteration of my, my life. I don't have the end in sight. I don't know. I don't have any prospects for more employment or anything, Mm -hmm. sure. But I'm just trying to do the next right thing. And I'm moving. And as I have begun to, you know, I I heard, I heard a a podcast the other day, a meditation and Oprah Winfrey said, you know, you can hope and, and uh, you can hope all you want, but it's only when you believe. Mm. And I, for Mm. the first time in my life, have this little little inkling of belief that the universe could be conspiring in our favor. In our favor. And so I'm just taking little steps, right? I'm just taking little steps. And there's little evidences along the way by the fact that I applied to this program that was already full and then an opening came. And um, to take it... Rigged in your favor. Rigged in my favor. Take it a step further. um, My desire to... Um, use my culinary skills to create hospitality, to reach out to people. I was contacted by an organization from a nonprofit from Italy uh, that wants to uh, have a Skype call with me on Friday morning um, to talk about expanding their nonprofit uh, outreach to combat food waste, Hmm. By serving our friends experiencing homelessness and chronic Come poverty, on. so little old me, <laughs> little old me, has been contacted by this nonprofit called Food for Soul uh, from Milan. from from Milan, Italy. <laughs> so who knows? And uh, it's knows? like you know, uh, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Yes. So I'm just new at all this believing. That anything good could happen in my life? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, on a daily basis, I have to really convince myself and, and believe mm-hmm. that anything good could happen for me. Um, but I'm just trying to do the the next best thing. The next best thing. The next best thing. And yeah. that's doing this podcast with you this morning. So Which is the next best thing for me too. Yes, <laughs> this is just this has
0: been so enriching.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Do the thank next you. best thing. That is become best my thing. life motto. We we try so hard to think about steps 18 and 19 and 20 and mm-hmm. 75 right. when
1: we're on step 3. Yeah. <laughs> like just well, take care of step 4. <laughs> so so many people, it's funny, it's kind of it goes in spurts. Some several people mm-hmm. recently have asked me um, how, how how did you get sober? How did you get clean? And it's trite. It sounds trite, but I will simply say, don't drink and don't mm-hmm. use. Um, it's that simple. Yeah. Now, behind that is doing the good work right. of looking inward and and finding the thorns, the causes that that were the the impetus for you to self harm in the first mm-hmm. place. That's that's the work behind it. But as as you are getting back or discovering your true self, Mm -hmm. and those truths, for the first time, discovering that, you just can't drink or drug. (laughs) So um, several people have asked me that question lately. How has this person that we're experiencing that's doing this podcast today, how are you here? And I say in my old theology, I would have said there, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm. But I don't believe that anymore because the person who makes it and the person who doesn't make it has nothing to do with grace. I don't want Mm. to believe in a God like that. Mm. Um, But it really, the the reason that I am alive through a couple of suicide attempts and self-harm through the years, the reason that I am here sitting with you today, Darren, is because there's a spark of the divine in Mm. every one of us that just will not be done with me yet yeah and so I am here and so for any of your your listeners out there that are in a a dark place and are not feeling particularly resilient Mm. and don't know the next step just know that there is divine in you and and just seek that out and do the next best thing do the next best thing well, I don't know that it can get much better or clearer or wrapped up in a bow than that. Thank you, thank Kim you, it Grant. It's been my pleasure for Love being you here. so much. Thank love you for the you. great work you're doing. Thank, um, you. thank you so much. Where can people find you on the interwebs? And do you well, write? I, do you? I do. You do. Thank you. I have uh, I have a blog called Written Buffet, and uh, you can find me there. Written, just like it sounds. Written Buffet and uh i'm on instagram again and facebook your instagram is kimg1317 wonderful so get yeah. on there
0: give her some instagram love
1: some Yes. double taps thank you yes thank you thank you
0: well thank you guys for listening thanks for tuning in this week um i hope that kim's story and her um her incredible resilience have inspired you and also helped remind you of your own um thanks fam grace and peace.